Hey, uh, let's take a, if you got your Bibles, take a look at 2 Timothy 2, 2. Now, how many of you have been to a track meet? I'm not talking about television. I'm talking about a high school track meet. In the end of March, when it's raining and it's cold and you're sitting on wooden stands. Well, it just happens that our son happened to be fast and he, at Hill High, he ran the 800 meters and then uh, the first leg of the 4 by 400 meters. Do you know how long it is between the 800 meters and the 4 by 4 At least three hours. So we paid our dues. Now we have a grandson who runs the 400-meter hurdles and the first leg of the 4 by 4 at George Fox. Now, I've learned one of the keys to the relay races is not dropping the baton. You don't want, you could be ahead. You drop the baton, it's over. So this is our last message on Mission, Mission Possible. And we, we originally called it Release, but I'm calling it today How to Hand Off the Baton Without Dropping It. You know, Paul was passing the baton to Timothy with some interesting instructions in 2 Timothy 2.2. And I'm going to read this from the Legacy Standard Bible. Now, you're probably going to hear more about the Legacy Standard Bible in the future, but it is a, a, a updating of the New American Standard. Legacy Standard Bible. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men. It's generic. You can say people who will be able to teach others also. Look, we've got four generations listed here. We have Paul, then Timothy, hands the baton off to Timothy. Then we have faithful people, Timothy hands it off to faithful people. And then they hand it off to others that they teach. You know, and and in the context here in Timothy, it appears that Timothy was at the point of dropping out of the race or dropping the baton. Listen to some of the things that it says about him here. First Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. He had some people dismissing him because he was young. How about 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8? For God has not given us a spirit, spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So, not only was some people dismissed him because he was too young, he apparently was timid and, and he was ashamed of being bold. How about 1 Corinthians 16.10? When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. So he was fearful. Ah, how about 1 Timothy 5.23? Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. So he was sickly. So we have Timothy, who Paul's passing the baton to, who was shy. He had stomach problems. He was fearful. He was ashamed to be bold about his faith and probably avoided conflicts. Anyone here like that? 
I sure am or was anyway. I was always a good actor. I mean, I get the lead and the plays and all that. But alone, I was extremely shy. So I understand Timothy completely. Did you know the, the comedian Robin Williams? In, have you ever seen him? In, in private, he was shy and introverted. So, because of his timid personality, he probably, Timothy probably hated conflict, he hated criticism, and, which we know is an inescapable part of leadership. The hardship of standing for the truth in the face of many who, who may have been abandoning the race around us was tempting. And, and it was tempting to draw back and not use his spiritual gift to uphold and hand off the truth to the next generation. There's little doubt that Timothy at this juncture in his life was in a time of weakness. He was in a time that maybe he was even questioning his calling. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 1.6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. He needed to consider again the resources he had, the power, the love, the discipline that God's Spirit made available to him. He, and us, and me, he needed to accept the fact that suffering, or another word might be their disappointment, goes with the territory. It really does. Many of us are in situations like that right now. We're working with someone who's disappointing us. We need to remember the power of our God to change lives. And I'm going to give you a few examples in a few minutes. We need to realize that we have a ministry to carry out and need to trust the Savior to bring it about for God's will and his glory. Paul had his disappointments. I mean, we're not only talking about Timothy. For 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. And from what we know about Timothy, you know, in fact, when I read this verse, I had to laugh. It says in 1 Timothy 1.3, when I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those, those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Yeah, that's not what I want to do, you know, Timothy, but he sent him anyway. Paul, who was awaiting execution in a prison cell in Rome, was handing the baton to Timothy. And in our text, he is not telling, only telling Timothy to take the baton and carry it faithfully, but also to hand it off to others who will carry it faithfully, and they will hand it off to others. It is a relay race. So, here's my, uh, if you want to leave now, this is what I'm going to say for the rest of the time. We must entrust the words to others and encourage them to entrust it to others, and in other words, pass the baton without dropping it. Before we examine the verse, haven't got to the verse yet, I'll get there. Our task is to hand off God's truth to other faithful people who will be able to teach others also. You know, this, this, it supplies on so many levels. Christian husbands must hand the truth off to their wives and their children. Well, the husband, yes, is the shepherd of the family, but the communication goes both ways. Wives must also share with their husbands the truth that God is teaching them. Parents are responsible to entrust the truth to their children. More mature believers must see their responsibility to impart biblical truth to the younger in the faith. And in fact, speaking of women, 
Titus 2.4 says, The older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and children. And all of us know that's every responsibility of everybody here to share the gospel with those who are lost. Now, the idea is that God entrusted, you know, is that if God entrusted any truth from his word to us, it's not just to make us feel good about ourselves. It, it, it gives, it, he gives it to us so we can pass it on to others. Keep in mind, verse 2 is built upon verse 1. You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To entrust God's truth to others, we must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, with that as a foundation, verse 2 gives us three requirements to pass the baton on without dropping it. And I'm going to add a fourth that's really not in the text. That's okay. Now, when I was saved, Gail and I were going over this. I, I figured out I was 15. I've been saying I was 16. I think I must have been 15 because when I was 16... They handed me the sixth grade Sunday school class. I'd, I'd been a Christian one year, and I'm teaching the sixth grade Sunday school class. And, I, and as I went through this, this message today, I said, was I ready? You know, was I ready to accept the baton? So, number one, to pass the baton without dropping it, we must give an example to follow. And my question is, am I a good example to follow? The Bible says... Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. This verse I have read to all of my grandsons. Now, Hebrews 12.13 Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. Now, watch this. So that the lame who are watching you may not be disabled, but rather be healed. Back to the sixth grade Sunday school class. I didn't know what to do. had no curriculum. Here's the class. Fourteen people. Here's the class. I'm 16 years old. Do something. So every week I went in there and I did something. And, and uh, by the end of that time, 12 of the kids had received Jesus. They were all. And one of them, her name was Magdalena. Magdalena. Her father uh, was from Jamaica and her, her mother was from uh, Holland. And, um, and, and I went away to college and then I went to seminary and 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 I hadn't seen her, I don't know, maybe it was 25 years, something like that. And I was speaking at the First Baptist Church of Davis, California. And uh, it was one of those churches in the days, I don't think we do this anymore, but the preacher had to go to the door and shake everybody's hand. You know, and uh, today we'd give him an elbow bump or something. But So I'm back there shaking hands, and then a girl stands before me, and I look up. She's 5'10". It's Magdalena. And she, she said, give me your card. I'll write you. So I gave her my card and it didn't, I didn't get, get anything from her for maybe six weeks. 
And she wrote me a long letter and she told me that um, due to the bad example, bad example of one of the leaders in the church, she got into the world, married a non-Christian and had been living outside the church and outside the gospel for all these years. And she saw my picture in the paper in um, Davis, in the, in the newspaper, and said, and she said to herself, if he's still following Jesus, I'm going to come back. So she wrote, she, she said, I waited to make sure that I was serious about this, but I've repented and I found a church. And I'm going, back. so I went back. We, I don't know how long you were with me the second time. And I went back to that church to, to speak again. And we got in touch with her again. And she took us over to the church she goes to. She was the Sunday school superintendent now. And she'd led her husband to the Lord. So I'm saying, you know, we need to pass the baton to the next generation through modeling. Listen to Philippians 3.17 closely. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So that's my first thing. To pass the baton on. Got to have a good model. Second, to pass the baton on without dropping it, we must be clear on what we're, we're, we're teaching. What is sound doctrine? Today, if I don't like something the Bible says, I just say it's cultural and I ignore it. You know? But you know, he says here in 2 Timothy 2.2, You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. He refers to the fundamental truths, which he repeated on... I'm going to come back to this, but he repeated on several occasions. There's your many reliable witnesses. I didn't change. I said the same thing. Of course, when we impart truth, we impart more than just content. Content is important. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says... We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives also. We shared our own lives. But our text assumes that the truth that we impart is clothed in godly love for others. But the clear focus here is on content and sound doctrine. Paul mentions what Timothy had heard Paul teach And he tells Timothy that he is to impart these truths to other people who can teach them to others. And now we have it in written form. It's called the Bible. And um, there are two aspects. To be clear on sound doctrine, I think we must affirm the existence of something that our culture does not affirm. And that's the, the, the existence of absolute truth. In other words, absolute truth is it's always right. It's always truth. It's not something that we can just deny. And uh, that there is a definable body of spiritual truth that can be known and handed off faithfully to others. Now, we live in a culture that's permeated with the view that spiritual truth is a matter of personal preference, much like your favorite flavor of ice cream. Mine is dulce de leche, I'm just saying. But the Bible says, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There is no Christian faith without sound doctrine. 
without sound words, without a standard of sound words. And this is the truth that was taught by the apostles and delivered to the church. Listen to Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him and having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. It's no wonder that Christians are urged not to depart from the apostolic teaching they received, quote, unquote, in the beginning. By the way, if you want a good study, take First John and study the phrase in the beginning. It's really interesting. One verse only, First John 2.24. You must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And then, in uh, Jude 1.3, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation that we all share. But now I, must, I find that I must write to you about something else. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. You know, I don't think we need to be amazed at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6. He says, in pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. For all these reasons, the apostles instructed the believers to, number one, guard this faith. Number two, defend this faith. Number three, stand firm in this faith. Number four, not to drift from it. And number five, become established in this faith. And then, transmit it intact to the succeeding generations. Now, we may change some methods. In fact, you know, as, as the years go on, the church has to change methods. But we never change the truth of God's word. So, to obey God's commandment in our text, we must begin by affirming the existence and importance of absolute truth, which is revealed to us. Without that truth, we haven't got a baton to, to hand off. Second, to be clear on sound doctrine, we must study the truth as found in the Holy Scriptures. We can't impart something that we're fuzzy on. We must be clear about the truth that we hand off. And to be clear about the truth, we must engage in a lifetime of study and growth. You know, we were think, we were talking that we might envy Paul's relationship or Timothy's relationship with Paul. I mean, after all, Paul taught him. They ate together. They traveled together. I mean, Timothy could ask any question he wanted to, right there of Paul. I mean, that's quite, but yet, and Paul still had to exhort him in 2 Timothy 2.15, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. I think we all need to memorize that, that, that verse. Timothy still had to work hard at studying the word. Now, what does Paul mean in 2.2, our, our scripture today, about in the presence of many witnesses? I think the idea here is that he had witnesses all over the place. Rather than the witnesses had taught Timothy, I think the idea is this. He taught, Paul taught. 
The same thing wherever he went. There were witnesses in Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Rome, and all the other cities that Paul ministered. You could go there and they'd tell you the same thing. Many witnesses. It wasn't some circle of inner truth that the Gnostics of the first century would later claim to know. It was publicly proclaimed, and those witnesses could confirm that Timothy's doctrine squared away with Paul's. Paul's uniform testimony to the truth teaches us that we, we shouldn't bow to the pressure to soften the truth in order to be popular. You know, and, uh, and we're not offend. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Some will need correcting. Others will need rebuking. Everybody needs encouraging. That's all done with sound doctrine. So to pass the baton, we need to be good examples. And second, we need to be clear on sound doctrine. Number three, to pass the baton without dropping it. We must entrust the truth to fat people. Now, wait a second. This has been this has been used for years and years and years and years. Fat means it's an acronym. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Not perfect. No, perfect isn't part of it. If it was, it would be fap. Yeah, it would it would be tough to say. Entrust to faithful people. And trust is a verb related to the noun that, to make a deposit. It's found here in 2 Timothy 1.14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It refers to entrusting something that's valuable to, to a trusted friend to guard it for you in your absence. Now, a while ago, some of you remember way back when we had a dog that was a Dalmatian. And uh, his name was Buford. We were going on a trip, and a lady came and stayed in our house while we were gone, and we entrusted Buford into her care. And and for, I don't know how long we were away, but she ignored him completely. And um, when we got back, I, I, I told Gail, I think he's close to death. I mean, just ignoring him like that. She did not take care of our valuable treasure. Believers, we have been entrusted, we have trusted our lives to Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12 For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. In turn, Christ has entrusted to us the treasure of the gospel, and we need to guard it and then pass it on. Now, um, so we, we need to entrust the gospel, the truth, to faithful people. How do you tell faithful people who can learn the truth? Now, one of my mentors was Ray Stedman. And Ray had a, had a big list. And I only have two of them today that he, he gave. He said, first, I look for a searching mind. A mind that's ready to learn. A mind that has given evidence, it wants to learn something. It, it wants to listen to what's going on. And I said to myself, how did I, you know, do 
as far as number one. You know, I did have a searching mind. Okay, let's go on to number two. He said, then I look for a humble heart. He will have learned that we are to set aside his ego, set aside our ego, that truth is not given to us to order to build our image in the eyes of other people. In other words, have a humble heart. Now, when I, I looked at myself, you know, back then, I didn't do too well in that one. But I grew over the time. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A searching mind and a humble heart. And when you find such as those, commit yourself to them. Paul says to Timothy, give yourself and everything you know to such people because they're going to pass it on to others. Faithful implies that these men and women are believers, that they're loyal, and that they're reliable. They may be immature. That's not a problem. But they're reliable. Paul was disappointed by Phygelus and Hermogenes, your next child. That's 2 Timothy 1.15. And Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. Pros maybe many more. So look for believers who give it evidence of being faithful and trust great truths to them. Then entrust the truths to available people. The process of entrusting sound teaching to others takes some time. Let's face it. Some people, as sincere as they may be, are just too busy with other things. In some cases, and we all know this, busyness is a matter of wrong priorities. And busyness could cover up an empty heart. Now, so they need to be challenged to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We can only work with those who can make the time to get together to study the word. How do I do it? How did I do on that one? I was available. I really was. Entrust it to teachable people. Paul says that these people also are going to be teaching others. So they need to be teaching no one can teach well unless he himself is teachable. If Timothy had not been willing to receive the teaching from Paul, he would not have been qualified to pass it on to others. You know, have you ever been around a know-it-all? I have. Or a stubborn person who wants to argue incessantly. And, and will, that person is not going to teach others. In fact, the people will resist his arrogance. Being teachable means you're willing to change when you become convinced the scripture says you're wrong. It means being willing to learn from other godly men and women, not claiming to have the corner on the truth. And of course, it means having a never satisfied hunger to know God more and his word more. When I, when I got saved, we had a, we had a youth director who uh, opened his heart, his home to us. And we had, a, we had a group of about 18. And, uh, but he focused on three of us. I was one of the three he focused on. In fact, he used to take us, all three of us, on vacation with him. And he, he spent a lot of his time with us. You know, and he'd take us to hear the great men of God who came through our area. I mean, we were isolated over in what used to be called a ghetto. And we never got out. And, but he would take us out. You know, in 1958, was it, or nine, I met Billy Graham. And, and I've heard Vance Havner. 
Some of you don't know who that is, I'll bet. Dick, do you know who that is? Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the great preachers of all time, and a host of others. He would take us to hear him. Of the three of us, one of them became a pastor in one of the greatest mission fields of the earth, downtown San Francisco. Another one became a seminary professor, and I was the third. So to be able to hand off the baton without dropping it, we must be a good example, clear on doctrine, and entrust the truth to those who are fat, faithful, available, teachable. Finally, number four, to pass the baton without dropping it, we must aim at spiritual multiplications, disciples making disciples. The task of reaching the world's how many people in the world now? I think I just read we passed eight billion. And in Spanish, that's ocho mil millones. And um, I mean, to reach eight billion people seems impossible. You know, maybe there would have been a better way. Maybe God could have sent angels around to just, you know, like he did, you know, in the Christmas story, just tell him, you know, no, you know what he did? He entrusted it to us. And uh, that's an awesome task. But his plan is called spiritual multiplication. As we mentioned, there are four generations mentioned here in our text. Paul, Timothy, faithful people, and others who they will teach. If we teach someone and he bottles up the truth and doesn't pass it on, it stalls. It stops right there. That would be addition, but not multiplication. But if those we teach, teach others who in turn teach others, we're engaging in the ministry of multiplications. While it's slow at the beginning, it can reach millions. Now, when it comes to spiritual multiplication, the process doesn't happen quickly or without failures. But the point stands. To be fruitful, look for those you can teach who will not just study for their own benefit, Rather, they will grow and then teach others. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. To apply this verse to my life, I, I need to ask two questions. The first one is, who is my Paul? If you're a woman, who's your Pauline? In other words, to whom do you look as a spiritual mentor? I've had several Pauls in my life. My spiritual mentors. And I really do look forward to sitting down with them in heaven and talking one day. But first, we need a living model. Second question is, who are my Timothys? Who am I going to pass this on to? Titus 2.4 commands the older women to train the younger women in the things of God. And if you've been a believer for at least a year or two, we should really be looking for someone younger in the faith to hand this body of truth off to. Now, I I strongly recommend that each one of us get involved in the lives of other believers to help them grow and to grow ourselves. You know, I have a real advantage. I get up at five in the morning every day and uh, I head for my computer And I write a column for a newspaper, daily column for a newspaper in Central America. But after that, 
I work with people through, mostly through emails, you know, and uh, I've been working with a, uh, I've been working with a lady in Central America after an extremely rough start. I mean extremely. She's now doing well and is now ministering to others. I'm working with a man in Costa Rica. I have been for maybe 12 years now. He also went through a couple of really difficult times, but he's doing well now and and about a month ago started his own blog to extend the gospel. I'm working with a man in Colombia. He is doing extremely well and is now working with married couples in their church. I'm working with a guy in Cuba, and he is also doing extremely well. In fact, I have a meeting scheduled with him the next time I return to Cuba. I'm working with a lady in Mexico who is not doing well. Pray for her. One word of caution before we close. Don't opt for perfection or nothing. Sometimes we idealize the Timothy-Paul relationship to the point... If we can't come close to that, we don't do anything. No, we end up, you know, doing nothing at all. So we can meet with someone once a week for an hour. God can use you tremendously in the lives of younger believers. Ask God to give you a few younger believers in the faith to entrust this truth to. Get together regularly. Get into the word. Pray for one another. Share things about your lives and pass this body of truth on to them and instruct them to pass it on to others. That's how we will pass the baton without it falling. Lord, thank you for these moments. We really do. We thank you for this wonderful verse that has meant so much in our lives, in my life. I want to thank you today for the mentors I've had those who took the time to build into my life and to to go through all of my blunders and my, my difficult times, Lord, I just pray that each one of us here would be a blessing to someone else this week. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.